We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Two guests on the show today. Fred Smoot followed by my good friend Stanford Steve from ESPN. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a tease on this. I recorded both of these interviews before recording this opening segment to the show, which will be a very short opening segment to the show. Uh, And I asked both Fred and Steve the same question about Sam Howell. Steve was a big Sam Howell supporter uh, long before the season started, and Fred's always been a Sam Howell believer. And I asked them after 10 games now of actually seeing him play in the NFL, give me an NFL quarterback comp based on how you see his career progressing. And they both gave me the exact same answer, which I found very interesting. Uh, Smoot coming up in the next segment, followed by Stanford Steve. We'll do a lot of college football with Stanford Steve, including talking about the JMU situation. They did not get that waiver for bowl eligibility or eligibility to play in the Sun Belt championship game. That seems brutally unfair. Uh, the show, as always, is presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. You've got nothing to lose with winter on the way, and it's going to be a cold week, a cold Thanksgiving uh, a week from today, and it looks like a cold and potentially snowy winter. I promise you, if you've been thinking about new windows, call them. They'll take good care of you. You'll get a great product for an incredible deal. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. So I wanted to play something for you real quickly. This was Jack Del Rio. Today was Coordinator Day. Eric Biennemi spoke and Jack Del Rio spoke. Um, Jack Del Rio had two things that I thought were interesting. One, he went back to Sunday to ask about, uh, to answer, I'm sorry, the question about Emmanuel Forbes getting ejected from the game. Here's what he said. Uh, the, the, the penalty I understood. I mean, you know, uh, it, it, it was a deserving of a, of a penalty. Um, but the ejection <laughs> uh, for a first-time offense, you know, on play six or whatever it was of the game, that was shocking. And, and, and the fact that he wasn't ejected by the officials on the field, he was ejected by somebody sitting in an, in an air-conditioned room in New York. And that's troubling. I think that's troubling for the league. But that's... They're going to have to work that out. But that's not a good look. You know, I, I, I don't think that's healthy for the league to have those type of things happen. Uh, you know, Emmanuel, uh, young player, 
good player. He's not a guy that's like notoriously known for like head hunting people or stuff like that. So I, I, I did not think it was warranted. Uh, wasn't my call, obviously. I agree with him clearly on the ejection. I thought that was ridiculous for all of the reasons that he mentioned, uh, but definitely a penalty, as he agreed with. I disagree with him on the New York thing. Like, I don't have a problem with New York or even the on-site replay booth uh, helping out the officials on the field. I think it's actually helped speed up uh, areas of the game in which we would be delayed for three, four, five minutes to see a challenge flag come out on an obvious missed call. We get a lot of those obvious missed calls corrected before uh, a coach even has the ability to challenge it. I think that's been helpful uh, to the game. I wanted you to listen to something else that Jack Del Rio said today. He was actually asked about Sam Howell and what he thinks of the young quarterback. Here's what the defensive coordinator, longtime defensive coordinator, and a several-time head coach said about their young quarterback. Unflappable, you know, um, certainly tough. And uh, I think he's got great arm talent. I think, I think he can... I think he can layer the ball. I think he can throw the deep ball. I think he can throw with touch. Um, you know, so he, he he's a good player. I mean, I, you know, he's doing a nice job. I'm excited about the way he's trending, you know, for for us, you know, right now. And, and certainly for, for him and his future. Jack Del Rio on Sam Howell today. I played that because I didn't think that we had heard anything from Del Rio on Sam Howell this year. Maybe we had. And for some of you, you don't care what Jack Del Rio thinks anyway. But uh, I was interested in what uh, a guy who was a you know multi-time head coach in two different spots and longtime defensive coordinator, um, I was interested in what he would say about him. I didn't expect anything negative, but I liked the way he described uh, Sam uh, as a guy that could make every kind of throw and the first word he used unflappable is certainly something uh, we have seen all right before we get to smoot and then to stanford steve this email from ben ben wrote kevin belichick to washington this is what's so bad about you and the rest of the dc media that report on things like this it divides the fan base and forces them to talk about things that have nothing to do with this team right now why not just talk about Sam Howell's incredible season and keep it positive, please? Thank you in advance. Um, so it's the perfect segue into something that I wanted to play uh, about Belichick to Washington. Um, Albert Breer, longtime NFL reporter, was on the Dan Patrick show yesterday. Most of you know that Ben is clearly off with his email. I think most of you who have been paying attention know that this has not been a D.C. media thing or reported by D.C. media. Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk was the first to kind of bring it to everybody's attention. And then Dan Orlovsky, you know, intimated that he knew that, you know, where Belichick was going and a lot of people surmised maybe Washington was one of the destinations. Um, Gary Myers, who we had on this show a, a month or so ago, uh, the guy that wrote the book on the 86 Giants, the guy that presented Jake 
to the Hall of Fame committee, uh, Gary Myers, NFL historian, longtime NFL writer, he actually reported that he had a league source tell him the Chargers are the favorites for Bill Belichick uh, if he leaves the Patriots. I have said since you know we first got wind of this from Florio, I just don't see Belichick coming here. But I do want you to listen to what Albert Breer uh, said to Dan Patrick on his show yesterday. This is about a minute and a half to a minute 45 long, um, but it is very interesting because Breer believes Washington's in the mix for Belichick, and he explains why. I mean, I don't know if a destination has been determined. Um, I would say this, though, like, you know, like the Washington stuff has been out there for a while, and, you know, it's something that's been talked about in NFL circles for more than the time that it's been out there in the public. And, um, you know, that one's interesting to me um, just because, you know, if you look at the history of things, Dan, like we've seen like owners bring in older coaches um, with a track record. It's generally a credibility prep play, you know, like Shad Khan needed credibility in Jacksonville. So he brought in Tom Coughlin at the beginning of Steve Ross's ownership. Um, you know, in, in, in Miami, they had Bill Parcells there as the football czar. So, um, it would make sense if you're trying to restore credibility to your organization and you're Josh Harris and Josh Harris, by the way, would be able to negotiate this with the Patriots because he went to Harvard business school with Jonathan Kraft and they've had a relationship going back over 30 years. So there are some dot connecting you can do there that would make that one, um, make a lot of sense. I do think Bill still wants to coach. Um, now that's just my opinion, um, uh, based on you know what I've heard from people who know him really, really well and who've been around him. Um, you know, that Shula record is sitting out there. Um, he's 16 wins away. I think at one point we thought it was likely that he would get there in 2024. That looks a lot less likely now. So if you're the Patriots and you're talking about hanging on to him and he's pursuing that Shula record, you'd be talking about another two years, maybe now. Um, so there's a lot of things there, you know, like where you can say it would make some sense. Um, so I, you know, the two teams you hear most connected to, 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 to Bill have been at least, you know, from my perspective, been Washington and Dallas and, um, both in the NFC East, both historic franchises, both with owners that badly want to win, um, you know, obviously in different spots in their ownership. Um, but it should be interesting going forward and, Albert Breer talking about it with Dan Patrick actually, to me, is more credible than Mike Florio, who was, you know, sort of offhandedly saying this is part of some of the chatter in the league going on uh, right now. Uh, But I'm not buying it, although I thought there were a couple of things that Breer said that were interesting to me. First of all, the Dallas thing at the end, um, because Dallas hasn't been mentioned. Uh, Washington has, uh, the Chargers have for Belichick, uh, but not Dallas. So, you know, I would think, by the way, as an aside, if the Cowboys don't win two playoff games and get to the NFC championship game, that McCarthy and his, you know, 17 penalties a game are going to be gone. I would think. And maybe Belichick would go to Dallas. You know, there is something about the NFC East and, you know, sort of these marquee, you know, Washington, not as much anymore, but these longtime NFC brands that would probably be attractive to Belichick because, 
you know, this is where he became Bill Belichick as a defensive coordinator in the NFC East for Parcells Giants. And he's familiar with that ground. He's familiar with the history. And and I think he thinks like Bill, Bill Parcells does, like Sean Payton had talked about, you know, over the spring um, when he was referring to the Washington job. Like, I'm sure there's some allure to coming back into the NFC East and maybe resurrecting this franchise, you know, uh, in Washington. He certainly is familiar with what happened here over a long period of time. Don't forget, too, as Tommy and I talked about, he was raised in Annapolis. You know, his father was a Naval Academy guy. Uh, but Breer, you know, it said a couple of other things. Number one, the, the relationship with Jonathan Kraft and going to Harvard, how many of these owners, you know, have contacts in the league or around the league from Harvard or Wharton or Stanford or Michigan or wherever. Um, and so uh, that that was unremarkable to me. What was interesting is his mentioning of Tom Coughlin being the go-to guy for Shad Khan, for uh, Bill Parcells being the guy for for Ross in Miami, who came in and sort of oversaw the whole thing. And, you know, he didn't even mention the most recent ownership, the Walton Penner group in Denver, hiring a guy like Sean Payton, uh, who is a proven commodity. Like, I wonder if, you know, there is the reason you see that is because a lot of these owners feel like it's the safe move and it's the move that gives them instant credibility, being able to attract somebody with sort of a longevity track record. Uh, I, I guess I will come back to what I've said before, which is Josh Harris wants to hire analytically inclined, edgy, uh, data-driven, I think, you know, um, guys like Hinky and like, uh, you know, Daryl Morey. And, you know, even though um, he's hired, you know, a veteran coach, with the Devils, longtime guy Lindy Ruff, even though he brought Doc Rivers back to Philadelphia, um, I don't know. I, I I hope that I hope that Belichick, if he was interested in coaching here, that they of course would entertain that possibility. I'm not for Belichick coming in in a coach centric situation. I'm really not. Um, because I think Bill Belichick in recent years has hurt Bill Belichick, the coach, as the GM. He has not constructed his roster very well. Um, Of course I'd be interested in Bill Belichick as a potential coach with a GM. I see it being the Chargers or elsewhere. But Breer bringing it up and bringing it uh, to the forefront yesterday, Breer is not a D.C. media member, Uh, Ben. um, He's a national, longtime national reporter. Uh, and that's how this thing got started. And by the way, Ben, um, look, if you just want Sam Howell conversation, you're going to have to go somewhere else. We just don't talk about Sam Howell on this show ever. Um, and certainly when we do, it's not very positive. Recently, especially. No, there will be plenty of Sam Howell conversation per usual coming up with Fred Smoot and then with Stanford Steve as well. Uh, Window Nation, great deal right now. 0% interest for five years plus. Buy two, get two free, no limit. So if you've been thinking about new windows to save big on energy bills, 30% you could save on your heating bill and your air conditioning bill. Uh, And you want your home to look better. If you've been thinking about it, give them a call at 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. You'll get access to this incredible deal. 
and this incredible company who makes their product right here locally and measures each window three times to ensure proper fit, fit, which is why 96% of their installs require no follow-up service. They do it right. They always have. Everybody that's ever used Window Nation that I have recommended uh, to has said nothing but great things about their experience. Give them a call at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Fred Smoot next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Fred Smoot coming up in this segment. But before we get to Fred, Thanksgiving Day, a week from today. How does apple cider, brine smoked turkey, cornbread stuffing, shallot and thyme gravy sound? Well, with Thanksgiving a week away, Do South in Navy Yard wants to make your holiday way easier. Their home-cooked dinner packages can serve 2 to 200 and will serve as a delicious, easy, and crowd-pleasing option for your big day. Don't feel like cooking this year? Give them a shout. Check out their menu and learn more at DoSouthDC.com. Jumping on with us right now, back by popular demand, and I mean overwhelming popular demand, is Fred Smoot. And I was thinking about you this morning, knowing that I would have you on the podcast today, because we did a segment on the radio show that I knew right when we started this segment, this would be the first question that I was going to ask you, because I think you're really good at this, so here it goes. Give me the quarterback, past or present, Give me the quarterback that you think Sam Howell is tracking towards in terms of a comp. The career that a quarterback had, maybe it's a career that the a quarterback is in the midst of, but who does Sam Howell remind you of? Who do you think he's going to become in terms of a comp? Hey, first of all, Professor, you're going to love the new nickname I got for him, first of all. And I think you're going to really love the comp that I have for him. Okay. His new name, because when, once you start balling, you earn nicknames. You know, Air Jordan, you know, like like everybody give you a nickname because you earn it. So I feel like I got to call him Sam Snow 
the fifth round bastard. Like nobody can stop him. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, but here's the problem with that. The problem with that is is that John ended up bending the knee. We can't have Sam bend the knee. <laughs> But but he was <laughs> at one point that NFL gonna make all us bend the knee. Like we all we all have to bow down to the NFL at one point. But here goes my comfort for him. Okay. It's two people because I always believe that people are a mixture of two people. When I see him uh, at his arm talent, the way he move around the pocket. Uh, He's more athletic than people think he is. That's when I see the Tony Romo in him. I see the Tony Romo in him when he make these effortless throws like he made in Seattle. And, and, and I say that's the same thing. I had to take those shots from Tony Romo. He reminds me by the build of his body, very much like Tony Romo. But then when I when I when I see he got that it factor and then Moxie, then it, it puts me with Kurt. Warner. I know people going to be like, why Kirk <laughs> Warner? He, he has that same thing that Kirk Warner had, that silent confidence that I can make every throw. I'm going to get the ball out. I'm going to let my ballers ball. He has that on. He has that when he has to do it off track of the play. He has that when he had to do it in line of the play. He, just, he has the it factor, and he has a lot of moxie. I think we got us one. All right, so – I'm going to spoil something for everybody because I'm recording Fred after my next guest, Stanford Steve, from my good friend from the Scott Van Pelt show, who who Stanford Steve is a big Hal guy, all right? Um, And I asked him the same question, and he said Tony Romo. Um, He gave gave the same one. And I think, look, first of all, Kurt Warner is a Hall of Famer, okay? Kurt Warner <laughs> has one of the quickest releases and is one of the great pocket passers mm-hmm. throwing with anticipation mm-hmm. in the history yep. of the game. To me, and I want and I want you to comment on this and, and disagree yeah. with it if you might. The reason we have seen some consistency from Sam over the last three games, which I have been very encouraged by as well is that we've seen a West Coast quick game quarterback who they are trying to not turn into the pure drop back guy, five, seven steps, and hang in there and read the field and throw with anticipation, which is what we saw too much of over the first seven games, which is why my comp, actually my comp was Andy Dalton, but I threw out Jeff. Oh, my God. The, the water pistol? But I, But I also threw out. Okay, Jeff Garcia. I don't think people realize how good Jeff Garcia was. I, I played against Jeff Garcia, and I don't. What, what part of Jeff Garcia's game do you see in Sam? Okay, couple of things. Number one, size. Okay, he was a smaller quarterback. Number two, perfect West Coast quarterback. Much more of a distributor. And part three was excellent off schedule. Excellent in the creative, extend the play kind of a mm. game. Mm. I would never vote the professor to do a beauty pageant. No, your vote would <laughs> just be all, all over the board. No, no. See, 
like here's what you got to understand. Yeah. You say Kurt won a Hall of Famer, but when Kurt won start first started playing, nobody thought he was a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he developed into he became over time to the Kurt Warner that we know. And the thing about well, Kurt actually, Warner, his first and, year he was the MVP. Let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But guess yeah. what? To, what? To, if you want to throw facts and numbers around, mm-hmm. his first ten games he didn't put up the numbers that Sam Howell putting up right now. All right. So at the end of the day, I tell people at all the time, we're looking at the maturation of a young player. This guy is 10 games old. I, like, we, we, like, we're judging him like we got a retread that's been in the, in the league for four or five years. This guy and Eric Bieniemy has been together for 10 games, and what he's doing is exceeding your expectation, and you're afraid to love. See, that's your problem. See, we didn't have our heart broken so much by the RG3s of the world and the Kirk Cousins. We've been traumatized. We've been traumatized yeah, you, too much. You are you are afraid of love right now, and love is staring you right in the face. I think, and the thing about it is, this is scary report about it. He's only going to get better. I we're looking at the baseline, Sam Howe here. All right, you saying, all right, well, now they stopped him from doing the seven-step drops. Well, that's what you do when you're learning a player. Right. You figure out what's working and what's, what's not working, and then you work through these things. You tell him, uh, tell me what you like. He's going to tell you what he don't like. And as you figure these things out, he's going to get better and better and better. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're going to get anything out of this season, you want to see, do I got that one thing that matters most? And that's a quarterback. Because if you got one of those, you got a chance each and every week. And for the you got to say this, Professor. You don't ever feel like you're out of a game when Sam Howell is on the field. And for so many years, we knew if we was down seven, it's pretty much over with. Look, you're you're portraying me right now um, in, in a light that isn't consistent with how I've become very, very optimistic over the last three games. I love what I'm seeing over the last three games. I just... I also don't forget what happened three games ago, which was the giant game in the Meadowlands. So I just, I don't, I'm not rushing to declare him the next Kurt Warner, who, by the way, I just have to tell you because I love you dearly. Here are Kurt Warner's first 10 games as the Rams' starting quarterback, all right? 309, three touchdowns, 275, three, 310, three, 323, five touchdowns, all right? Then he had 111, one touchdown. He threw 41 touchdowns his first year. He threw. Hey, 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 he was 41 years old. I got this literally so young. Like, give him the benefit of the doubt, now he's leading the league in passing yards. Yeah. The guy is is growing in front of our house. You one of these guys that just like to go to the grocery store and get your fruit. You don't want to see it grow. <laughs> I, you, you from like you would think you from the old school where grandma put love in that cookie. I don't have to and see it grow anymore. I don't have to see it grow. I can go to the grocery store. What are we in, yes, in colonial times? You're part of this microwave society uh-huh. that you want it now, and it's killing us. The bad food is killing us. And what I'm saying is sometimes believe your eyes. Believe your eyes. You're seeing this guy go out here on some top defenses. Like one test that I really want to see, and that was the Belichick test. 
I want to see him go against a Belichick defense because yep. the one thing I know he's great at is dismantling young quarterbacks and showing them so much. And I watched that film and broke it down. He showed him over 17, 18 different coverages and mixture of coverages, and Sam processed it all. I'm telling you right now, we have something here. I ain't just jumping the gun and trying to say we got a, a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying, in this league, if you've got a top 15 quarterback, you got a chance if you've got a rest of the roster and the coaching staff that can hold them up. You are the best investment in time. You are the best investment in time. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but again, let me just say that you got, you got, you got off the, 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 the track there. All I was saying to you is that Kurt Warner played his – he plays differently than Sam Howell, and he was actually brilliant from the jump. Um, so we don't want to go back and compare 11 games to 11 games because Kurt Warner was brilliant from the jump. But I want to go back to because you you originally when I said Andy Dalton, you could I mean you couldn't wait to jump all over that. Andy yeah. Dalton was a consistent for several years, a top half of the league NFL starter at six one. A guy who could make every throw, a guy who they ran some dual threat zone read stuff with him with Jay in Cincinnati. He was he was good off schedule. I, I mean, you just I guess what you're saying is, oh, he's going to be much better than Andy Dalton is is essentially your point. Andy Dalton is a, mo- a top model with a dead tooth in her mouth. Like that, it's incomplete. Like. We knew what Andy Dalton's ceiling was when he was drafted. <laughs> I, we, we don't know what Sam Howe's ceiling is, and that's the most intriguing part about Sam. I, the one thing about Sam compared to uh, the, the water pistol, Sam can make every throw on the field, every throw on the field, not limited by anything. The one thing about Andy Dalton, that from a corner playing him, uh, he's limited by the hash. I, if he's on the left hash, he wouldn't dare you throw really out think... routes on the right hash. Really? You don't... Uh, on the right okay. hash, he, he wouldn't throw like, – he does three fourths of the field is what he has to work with, and me as a cornerback, I could diagnose that. If I'm playing against the Sam Howe, I, the whole route tree is available, and I have to play honest. I got to make an honest living that day, only because of one, he ain't scared to pull the trigger. Two, he got the arm strength to make every throw, and three, he does it with touch, and that's something that you don't get with young players. Like you use a young quarterback, want to show you how how strong his arm is. This guy is putting the ball in the basket, and then nobody ever talks about all the drop passes he's had. Like, yeah, he got some games, he could have went over 400 if, if two, three people catch the ball. Yeah, there, I mean, I can think of Dotson, certainly at the end of the Giant game. I mean, that should have been a catch and a first down, and you got a chance to win that game. Um, by the way, you know, if Andy Dalton's a top model with a broken tooth, we just tell him not to smile. We just tell him to keep, we just tell him to keep his mouth shut. And we can't make no money with that. We can't make no money with that in the model way. <laughs> and the thing about it is, you're coming off as Littlefinger right now. You're coming off as you, you believe, but you don't want to believe because you got your, like I said, because I think you've been hurt by, you know, jumping on and saying, nah, this this might be the guy. But Sam is showing you, tell me this. 
his weaknesses early was he gets sacked because he's holding on to the ball because he really wants to make these throws. All right, so then he starts to work through that process, and now he's starting to process stuff a little faster, and they, and they call him plays that's making him getting the ball out of his hand, and now you're starting to see, oh, this guy can throw on schedule. Oh, this guy can throw off schedule. Oh, this guy can come back in the clutch in the fourth quarter. Like, I'm telling you, when the last time have you sat in your seat and watched the Washington football game down 14 in the fourth quarter and knew in your heart, hey, this is still a ball game. We haven't had that feeling for a long time. Sunday. Sunday, I, 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 I came in here on Monday and I said I actually really believed when they got the ball back they were going down the field to score a touchdown. I did. Um, uh, let's you know, let's just hope that he's a little bit more trustworthy than Lord Baelish. Please. Hey, hey, all I'm saying is it's going to be start hard to stop the fifth-round bastard if he continues <laughs> to grow the way he's growing right now. <laughs> I love the way you just put fifth round before bastard um, because <laughs> because that's pretty much what, what John was. I mean, you know, he was, a, he was a little bit underrated there to start. And by the way, remember, he had a difficult time fitting in with his other siblings, and he had a supposed mother figure who couldn't stand him. Nobody likes Sam Howell. Do you remember <laughs> in the offseason when we, when everybody, we were like, we're going to start Sam Howell. And everybody all around the United States were like, what are they doing? They were like, ah, they just like the Falcons with Desmond Ritter. Not even close. Okay. Uh, you know what? The last three games, if this is who he is and this is the kind of offense they're going to run, which I think is perfect for him, um, I'm I'm really – look, I'm, I'm – I I had no opinion before the year. You know why I had no opinion? Because I'd never seen him play in the NFL. Is that okay to not have an opinion before he plays an NFL game? Oh, you know a pair of lips to tell a lie, don't you, right there, Professor? At the end of the day, you did see him play. You seen him play against the Cowboys oh, while they was headed to the playoff last year. You got a taste of who he was, and you got guys that have been watching him practice, like myself, just telling you, hey, it's something about this guy. Sometimes you need to trust what the insiders are seeing, and I'm seeing this guy make throws that I hadn't seen a lot of guys make. Now, now I'm going to tell you who else he got a smidgen of. And and I don't know if this saying in a good way or a bad way, but this guy was talented. He just had attitude problems. He has a little Jay Cutler in him also. Oh, man. You, I mean... See, I don't even see the similarity in styles, though. Although, I mean, if you're going to say Cutler, why don't you why don't you just dial it back a little bit and say Rex Grossman? Well, uh, he's better than Rex. Uh, I agree. Is higher than Rex. I agree. He's got he, he's got a better arm. He's got he's got more mobility and everything else. But in terms of the mentality, yeah. is I think where you were going with it. Yeah, yeah, most definitely the mentality, uh, the gunslinger mentality of, of of a Jay Cutler, the arm strength of a Jay Cutler. Jay was they they not uh, so different in size either. Uh, if you really just look at him, and the only thing that really stopped Jay Cutler was Jay Cutler. Yeah, well that that's the other thing too about him that we have definitely learned and we heard even before. Look, what we knew before, other than you people who had all the whole thing figured out, just like many of you had the whole Carson Wentz thing figured out a year ago. Um, so, but I think what we knew is the guy can really throw it. 
He can really sling it, especially if you watched him at Carolina. And that, by all accounts, this was a guy with the intangibles. And we've had some quarterbacks around here over the last 11, 12 years where, you know, in terms of the intangibles, very questionable. Sam Howell loves football. He's coachable. Mm -hmm. And all of those things matter at that position, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, and he's a coach's son, adding that he's used to being coached hard and he knows and understands football. He's grounded, and the one thing I do love about him, like Jalen Hurts, he's very unemotional. He throws a pick, he does not emotional, doesn't go up and down, he throws a touchdown. Not emotional, not ups and downs, and I love the fact that uh, he doesn't smile on the sideline. He's just very in tuned, and I like that. I like that, and that's why I wanted to see him. I did not, I was not going to judge him on five four touchdown games. I was wanting to see the three picks, the two picks, the four pick games. How do you bounce back from that? And he showed me, yeah, I got the mentality to bounce back from that and keep throwing the ball. I'm telling you, it's something about this kid. It's more than just uh, how fast you run the 40, how far you can throw the ball. Football is who can seize the moment. And the one thing about Sam, the moments are never too big for him. I've asked everybody this over the last week and a half, two weeks after these last three games. How much credit do you give Eric Bieniemy for not only the production from Sam over the last three weeks, the improvement on things like sacks, and then just the Mm -hmm. overall offensive production? I mean, they're averaging 430 yards and 25 and a half points a game over the last three. How much credit does EB get? Oh, 90% of the credit. Listen, I always tell people, it always, if you're going to have greatness, it takes more than just one person. It's always coaching player. It's never one without the other one. And the one thing about it is, I don't, I don't, Lean who I give credit the most. I say this is a great partnership. This is Batman and Robin. You need to keep it together as long as possible. People don't understand how unique having a coach that understands your game. You got to realize EB is still learning who Sam is. They only been together for ten games, so it's remarkable that they've got this production. I know offenses will tell you ten games into the year we're still installing and we're still trying to get on the same page because we got a new offense coordinator. This thing has been running from day one. It has been churning from day one. You have to understand, like, it, for, for example, Josh Allen had his best year with Coach Day, Dayball. Right. Now he's gone, and now he's trying to find his track. So I tell people all the time, do not take these unique things for granted. The thing we had with Coach Gibbs and we had with Greg Williams, we had a top five defense every year because we had a unique player and coach situation, and, 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 and they can coexist. Like You don't have to give one more credit than the other one. Right? Like I tell people in the LeBron, Michael Jordan, GOAT, uh, conversation. Why can't we just have two goats? Right? They are both great. Like sometimes you got to say one is great as what he's doing. If you could say this, right, if he's doing this with Sam, what would he be doing with, let's just say, if we signed Aaron Rodgers in the offseason and he was our quarterback? Like you can only wonder what the offense would be doing on a whole nother level. So, yeah, I got to give Coach EB a lot of credit here. All right. Well, let's just hope that ultimately. 
Um, as a man with a nickname that entitles him to the Iron Throne, based on lineage, yeah. let's hope he doesn't. En- let's hope he end- he doesn't end up back, you know, with the Night's Watch working the wall. All right, let's just hope <laughs> that doesn't happen. Um, all right, I want to flip it to the other side of the ball because this has been the biggest disappointment. I think all of us. I mean, nobody yeah. expected defensively for them to have this kind of a season. Mm. Let's talk about why. Let's talk about why, because all I, it's clear that the big explosives, the big chunk plays, have been the Achilles' heel. But can you explain why they're happening? Uh, basically, it's like taking a walk through Flea Bottom. Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> Nothing to like. At one point, you got to ask yourself, what do we do well? And it's spots. Like it ain't like we going out there each and every drive and just getting blew out the ball. It's drives where you they show up and you're like, all right, this the standard, and then they come out and they're not on the same page and they make mistakes. and And the one thing I can really say about great defense is they have identities. Like we just played Pete Carroll and that cover three, and we know like you know it's an aggressive cover three. They don't bend to you. They make you bend to them. They make you adjust to the cover three and how fast they play it. They probably have six or seven calls. They play. They have simple calls. They play very fast, and that's what you want. So simplicity is most definitely the key, and I think we got so many plays, and we try to do so many things, and we adjust to so many teams that they're not adjusting to us. We're not the dictator. The defense I played on Greg Williams, we were dictators. We made sure you understood we're going to play one way, and that's going to be fast and reckless, and you're going to have to adapt to it and that's what we're not doing over there like and, and the thing about it is our guys the guys that we expect to make plays like when I watch Pittsburgh and I turn my TV on I know TJ Watt if he's on the field he gonna impact the game I need to run pain to impact the game I need John Allen to impact the game so at the end of the day I ask myself I know everybody on this team ain't in the slump so if nobody's doing well, what's the common illness on the on the defense? Because it's like nobody, it, it's no pro bowlers on this defense. It's like nobody having a crazy year. But Jamie Davis actually making plays and nobody's talking about it. Right. But back to the fact that the matter is, it's one of them things where everybody don't stink on this team. It, it's, it, and I was always taught a fish stinks from the head down. So it's got to be what's being called and them not being on the same page. By the way, you know, you do know that in Flea Bottom there are no grocery stores and you can't grow your own food either. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard living in Flea Bottom. It's it's really hard. It's not a pleasant place. All right. So, all right. The secondary. Here's what frustrated me on Sunday. I, and I talked about this this morning on radio, I I think Benjamin St. Juice is a good player. Am I wrong? Yeah. Am I wrong? You're, you're not wrong. He is a good player, but he's an incomplete player. Uh, he's a guy that's never out of phase, very Carlos Rogers-like, where they're never really beat. The one thing he gets he has to get better at is finishing, and that's finishing with the ball. The one thing that scares people about him is you can't teach ball skills, and, and, and taking the ball away ain't one thing that he does. He's a nullifier. He stays in between uh, wide receivers in the ball, but he also has weak points and blind spots where he can get lost. And the one thing about him with him being 6'3", 200, 
110 pounds, you would think he'll be physical at the point of attack when you're talking about pressing people. Because when you get up at the line to press people, it's to get that clock going, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, to disrupt people. He's not disruptive when he's jamming people. And the one thing about it, people are like, yeah, he got 13, 14 breakups. Well, he also... Uh, he leads. He leads. Yeah, a very. It's really very well done. I actually. Yeah, yeah. He, fifteen mm-hmm. PBUs. He leads the league mm-hmm. with fifteen pass mm-hmm. breakups. He's also third in the league in terms of corners being targeted. It's funny that yes. you bring that up because I talked about that this morning on the radio because I have a friend of mine who's a football coach in the area who said you keep talking about St. Juice, but you do realize he's been targeted more than any corner in the league. And I looked it up; yeah. it's the third most. But I mm-hmm. think he's been targeted that much because more times than not I could be wrong he's been on the number one guy you think long, you think wrong. That's what you do, Professor. At the end of the day, no. Listen, you you would compare his numbers to South Gardner's numbers, and South Gardner. Okay, but, uh, but you intentionally nine, throw no, no, away no, no, from no, him. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. Okay. But what I'm saying, like they, when you're a good corner, they stay away from you. You just said it for yourself. When you're a great corner, they they find ways not to have to go against you. I right? and I can stack this to Marcus Peters. I can stack this to pretty much any corners in the league. So what I'm saying is volume. It's like going to Texas Tech. It's hard for me to tell if you're a great quarterback when you're throwing the ball 700 times a game. <laughs> so it, 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 700. It, yeah, so it's one of these things. It's, it, it's paralysis by over-analysis. So now you got so much information, but are you really looking for the information for what it really is? If I got a guy that's got 70 attempts against him and he got, what, 15 breakups and one pick, I don't know if the numbers lean your way. I know. I hear you on that. I do. I, 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 I'm not trying to compare him to Sauce Gardner. That, that wasn't the point. I understand why Sauce Gardner has one of the lowest targeted against percentages in the league because you go into a game like you did with Dion or like you, you did with Daryl Green, and you're just, no, we're not throwing in that direction. I, I, but he is – I just think ultimately our defense ends up putting him on a lot of the time, whether it's in the slot – which is where he's been when Forbes is on the field or outside. Yep. He ends up. By the way, I want to. You mentioned another thing. Um, your, your greatness is uh, is is consistent. It's not just a three week thing. Um, but in terms of being physical at the line of scrimmage, the play that drove me the nuts, the most nuts on mm-hmm. Sunday, was twenty six twenty six. It's third and four. This is the field goal drive. And yeah. and he is playing on the line of scrimmage against DK Metcalf. It looks to me like he's got help. I could be wrong. And there's yeah. no contact. And he's playing no. outside leverage. He gave hey, up a yep. free release. How is that coaching or is that him? Hey, first of all, hey, first of all, watching the film, they was in two man. So if I'm Jack Del Rio, my head is exploding. First of all, he was supposed to be inside technique, right? And playing and playing under that guy. So now, anytime I hear two man, that's the license for me to get as rough as I want to at the line of scrimmage. I got help over top, and then this guy comes off and run an inside dig route. No way that's supposed to be caught. And that goes the stuff that I'm talking about. Okay. It ain't 
what plays you make, it's at what point in time do you make the play. And the one thing about him, he's not a closer yet. He, he hasn't developed into a closer. And that's what great corners do. That's what good corners do. They close at a high level. And when, when you get a layup like that, that's supposed to be a pick if Geno Smith throws that into that coverage. Yeah, I, I'm okay, good. Um, you mentioned Jamin Davis. There's one other yeah. player on defense that now he missed a tackle on the long touchdown run on uh, the catch and run by. Yeah. By the way, don't you love their backs, Charbonnet and Walker? Oh man, they 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 got they got some backs over there, and yeah. Walker, man, uh, he's been impressive since he got in the league. And Charbonnet, watching him at UCLA last year, he showed that he can basically do everything. And what I'm hearing about Walker is that Charbonnet is better than him in pass blocking. That's why you mostly see Charbonnet on third down. So I think 35 Percy Butler. I think he actually, other than that one play, had a good game, and I think he's been getting better. Am I wrong? No, no, you are right. He had the best game of his young career. Uh, yeah, beyond that missed tackle, graded pretty high. He was in the right spaces. It, 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 this is what he done. Because one problem he had was uh, he played too fast. I know I know people are like, what you mean too fast? He was overrunning plays. He was moving himself. He wasn't manipulating the quarterback. And now he's starting to slow down. He's starting to have his eye discipline and look at the right things and react to these things. Now I see a player that's out there that's not not thinking, I see a player that's reacting. So yes, sometimes that's all it takes is reps to make a player better. Percy Butler wasn't getting those reps, so now he's in the game. He's getting better week in and week out. And Cam Carroll has been the, the study guy too. Like you know, sometimes when you just get used to people doing their job, people take it for granted. But Cam Carroll continues to just be Cam Carroll. He just need more splash plays. All right, last one on the defense because I'm I was clearly I, I'm I, I think I'm wrong about their defensive tackles because um, uh, I'm the biggest Deron Payne fan there's been. I thought yeah. he was you know I thought he was great even when he was inconsistent, but something ain't right this year with both of them. Tell me what it is. Ah, mm. uh, if I if I had your hand, I cut mine off. I, I have no clue <laughs> about you know. What's truly going on in that situation? I, I to me, when he had I a good Doug, start to the year. He had a good start to the year. Yeah, and it seemed to have been waned off. He has been getting double teamed, and there. John has a lot. Uh, John kind of looks gimpy to me, but he ain't one of those people to tell you if he hurt or not. I think he's probably playing through some. But the Deron Payne thing is, you know, that's the question that you got to ask. That's the million-dollar question. Well, where are the production? Where's the plays? Where's the penetration? He's getting close to making plays, but, you know, finishing is a whole different thing. And, and I don't I don't even really need you to put up the numbers. I just need you to be disruptive. And that's what I've really been soured on, like, the one thing he's always been is disruptive, and maybe it goes back to maybe the, the calls. You know, I, I don't know, but we know he can play the game of football. I don't know what's going on in that situation. All right. Um, since I haven't had you on in a few weeks, what was your reaction to them trading Sweat and Young? Uh, it's a business. I think I'm numb to that part of the, the, the NFL. I, I've been in the NFL, played in the NFL. I'm never shocked. And if you're going to lose some guys anyway that you don't intend on paying, paying yourself, sure. uh, you, you might as well get some assets from it to move forward. So I thought that was very intelligent move right there. Uh, uh, I think San Francisco 49ers should be sending us Christmas cards for the next 10 years for <laughs> right. the people we yeah. – 
Yeah, for the people we've sent them, and when you want to talk about caliber of player, but uh, as you see, Sweat has already got uh, signed for a hundred million, so he's a mainstay in Chicago. The question is, is Chase Young a rental in Forty ers And if I say so, I think he would be because Debo makes uh, sixteen million next year, Trent makes twenty one million next year, Bosa makes. I think thirteen million next year. Uh, the other D tackle, I think he makes twenty one million next year, and Fred Warner makes uh, thirteen next year. So they they couldn't probably pay Chase if they wanted to. Uh, you know, not only have we um, should we be thanked by the Forty ers the one player that we could have sent them for a number one pick or the number two overall pick, we 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 hurt ourselves by not trading him. Uh, you know what his name is? He was the last great quarterback that was here, um, but we won't mention him by name. We just we re- we refer to him as you know we refer to him as you know who. Um, all right, uh, clearly Sunday. They can't lose to Tommy DeVito and the Giants, right? Uh, listen, I call this guy who he remains. He who remains at home. Listen. <laughs> Wait, hold on. He of, who remains uh, at home, are you talking about the fact that he lives at home? Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. That's why I call him he who remains. <laughs> uh, listen, we cannot lose to this. If, <laughs> Listen, the football guys have served it up to us on the platter saying, I'm tired of the Giants beating y'all no matter what's going on in the situation. Here, I'm going to have DeVito at quarterback, uh, 15% of the roster hurt, traded Leonard Williams. If you can't beat them now, we will never beat them. And and the only thing that gives me true faith that we we can go out there and beat them is Sam Howell. And maybe the Giants was a blessing because since we played the Giants, we got Gates out of that center, moved Lawson in there, CP to the to the guard position, seen it solidify the line of scrimmage. So maybe the Giant games was a blessing. And let's see how this one turns out. Yeah, I mean, they're going to go ahead and play it anyway. Um, that's what they do in the NFL and not really, and every week we're wrong about half the games, um, that looks yeah. so obvious. Let's hope this one isn't, uh, one of them. All right. One more, uh, for you. And then I will let you run. Yeah. And I appreciate this as always. Who's the NFL MVP going to be this year? Wow. Great question. Ah, uh, it's another one of those years where you can't point. So now you have to point at the, the usual suspects, and is it Pat Mahomes? You got to ask yourself: Have we got numb to what he does? Especially considering him not having a true number one wide receiver over there. Josh Allen has did everything to make sure he's not in the race. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is another guy that having good numbers, but Lamar Jackson to me is having one of those years. I think he's having a great year over there. That's why he's running and throwing the ball. Uh, what about no Hurts? What about Hurts? I think what Hurts is, he, I would say he is the front runner right now because of team success. But he, he hasn't had that, that MVP moment this year, if you know what I mean. What about Sam Snow? <laughs> Sam Snow. Now, the one <laughs> thing about it, he's going to suffer from the fact that, that, <laughs> that he, he, live, he live in the wrong village. See, yeah. the numbers were there. Like, think about it. If we were, if we were six games, if we won six games right now, seven games, he will be. He would be being talked about for MVP right now. Well, like, if we were, in all seriousness, we C.J. Stroud is. I mean, C.J. Stroud's like the fifth favorite right now, which would be really but, amazing. Did you think yeah, he was going to be that? 
Well, I thought he was going to be good. I didn't know okay. he was going to be this good, this quick. I didn't think he was going to adjust this quick, but there go another unique thing about having the right coaches around you. Sloick and the rest of those guys are doing a great job with him. He can make every throw in college, but he, but he had the Ohio State quarterback cloud hanging over his head. I'm glad he got that out the way. But, yeah, I always thought he could be a good quarterback in this league, but he turned out to be great. But I knew Tank Dale, wide receiver from Houston, was going to be a player. I told people before the draft, yeah. that kid you right t- there. You told me, I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know who the best player in the league is right now, in my opinion? And he he's not going to win the MVP because defensive players just don't win it, not since LT anyway. Yeah, yeah of course not. Miles Garrett's the best player in the NFL. Uh, he's the scariest player in the NFL. He, he He's dominating games from the defensive side, doing things that I guess what we expected, you know, to get from Chase Young or what they expected from get from uh, Jadavion Clowney. He just – Miles Garrett is – is a alien. I, I, I like the things that he does at his size is special, and he's literally changing the line of scrimmage when he's out there. T.J. Watt the same way. Like it, it's certain guys that, that that can control the game from the defensive side of the ball. You're the best. Thanks for doing this uh, for me. Um, let's do it again soon. All right, brother. Anytime. Thanks. Fred Smoot, everybody. Love him. Uh, really fun to have these conversations with Fred on the show. All right, up next, Stanford Steve will jump on with us. We'll talk a lot of college football, but as I teased in the conversation with Fred, uh, Stanford Steve wants to talk about Sam Howell as well. We will get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com and MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they will give you a cash bonus on your initial deposit. The current line for the Washington game on Sunday at MyBookie is 9. So if you were listening to the show yesterday, we talked about how the line had come down, and then at MyBookie, it was back up briefly at 10. Right now, Washington is a 9-point favorite at MyBookie over the Giants, and the total in that game is 37. For tonight, Baltimore, a 3.5-point favorite over Cincinnati. There's no smell test pick for tonight. I do like Cincinnati a little bit tonight, plus the points. I think it's a desperate spot for them, and I'm wondering if the Ravens off of that, 
you know, draining game on Sunday. Not that Cincinnati didn't play in one of those as well against Houston, but man, the Baltimore-Cleveland game was off the charts physical. These teams have barely the capacity to recover for a game a week after a game like the one Baltimore played against Cleveland, let alone four days. So I kind of like Cincinnati tonight. It's not an official smell test pick, a full-fledged smell test pick tomorrow. Um, on the show. MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. You've got to use my promo code, KevinDC. All right, jumping on with us right now is my friend Stanford Steve from the Scott Van Pelt Sports Center show at StanfordSteve82 on Twitter. Of course, he is uh, on the college game day set every single Saturday. Uh, They are headed to JMU. This weekend, by the way, kind of a shame, right, that the NCAA didn't waive the uh, the rule allowing JMU to compete not only for a Sun Belt title but for a bowl game this year. I th- I thought they were going to actually approve that and was surprised by the result. What did you think? Uh, I did, Kevin. I thought they would change it. I just thought with the new regime at the NCAA with Charlie Baker coming in, like I really thought this was a chance to change, you know, the narrative, the image of the NCAA that every, everybody has loved to come and hate. And like a decision that's just all good in every way. I think it would help up this, the Sunbelt Conference, which is a really good football conference. It is. Like you go through those yeah. teams, man, there, there are some good ball teams down there. And then they could have set up a – JMU Troy Conference Championship game that would have two ranked teams, uh, and you know, with it, it, it turns to be the same old NCAA. No fun, no fun at all allowed, uh, and no exceptions. So we're gonna go uh, try and pound the drum though uh, for JMU. They've been as loyal school to game day as as um, as there is. Uh, there is a factor of you know uh, uh, of them still being able to go to a bowl game. If there's uh, enough five and seven teams where they could get in there, uh, so it's it's one of the best stories in 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 the sport this year. I know everybody now that the rankings are out wants to talk about playoff rankings, but I still am all about the good in the sport. And to see a team that was a power at the at the lower level and then come up and be undefeated uh, and and make the noise that they have, and knowing that the school pride that that school has, it sets up for a for an awesome. Awesome atmosphere Saturday, and I can't wait to get to campus. Well, it's actually a great campus. You and I were talking about uh, JMU a little bit before we started to record, but um, it's actually a great campus and a lot of alum in the D.C. area and plenty of JMU people that I hear from who listen uh, to this show. So um, big day for them. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is just, you know, the decision had they made JMU eligible was – you know, potentially a many, many millions of dollars decision for like a Tulane, as an example, or a Liberty yep. even, you know, those two schools being the ranked uh, non-Power mm-hmm. 5 New Year 6 schools, and, and JMU yeah. could have easily, you know, ju- jumped either one of those two. By the way, just in all seriousness, how good is JMU? Like, would they uh, be think, able to pull off what Tulane pulled off last year against SC? In the right matchup, Kevin, they lead the country in rush defense. Like no, they average giving up two yards a carry. They lead the country in sacks. I don't care who you're playing against. When you're doing that 
against the, the talent we see at the FBS level, you're doing something right. And Signetti's uh, just a lifer. Uh, I mean, he recruited me at Pittsburgh uh, in the mid-90s. Really? He was there. Yeah, and uh, he's got a, a great record. I can't wait to, to see him and, and just chat it up, knowing that it's been so long. Uh, you know, those old recruiting calls where they're, you know, they're trying to get you to come on a visit and all that fun stuff. He went down. He put a lot of good time in with Nick Saban in Alabama. And now he's he's got this, man. Like, to be able to have – like, that guy, he's been coaching since the early 90s. And now to be at this position, uh, just really, really happy for the guy. Uh, you know what he's built, know what they've been through. There's a lot of hoops and holes you've got to jump through as the head coach when you're making this transition. That's not the fun stuff. And now to be able to showcase your university and this type of deal, I think that's big-time stuff, and I couldn't be more happier for the guy. All right, uh, let's get to what has been a very exciting season and per usual promises to be pretty wild down the stretch here as we head towards uh, hopefully the last year of just four teams in the playoff. I, you know, I'll get to the whole one-loss scenario with Texas and Alabama in a moment, but of the two teams in the Pac-12 and in the ACC, who's more likely to get beat, Florida State or Washington? Washington. How about- uh, I think Washington. I think Washington's up against it this week, Kevin. When Me you too. look at what they've done uh, and what you know, this road. Every you know, being six and zero, I think it was, and game day goes to Seattle, and you get Oregon coming to your place, uh, and you put forth that that effort, and you get that win, and then you have that lull. Supposedly the flu went through the team. You struggle to beat Arizona State. You struggle to beat Stanford. Then. It really ramps up where you've got to go to USC and score 50 plus to win. Then you come back home to Seattle and face a totally different matchup with Utah and the physicality that Utah, uh, brings and, and the, the idea of the way that Utah travels with wanting to be that run game and play that defense. And then Washington comes out and shuts them out in the second half after, you know, high scoring first half. I really wonder what they got, what they got in store here because on the flip side, you got Oregon State. And, you know, the, the court stuff this week with them and, and Washington State, you know, ultimately winning. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, but Oregon State, to be able to, to, to be shut out like they have been, but now you look at that schedule. They have Washington and they have Oregon. They're two most hated teams. They're the ultimate little brother when it comes to those three schools. And you get a chance to knock them out of all, uh, you know, title shots and all that, and then if you were to win both, you get a spot to win the last Pac-12 championship. That's a lot, a lot of stuff there. And playing in that stadium, I mean, I remember playing in research, it was 17,000. And now it's up to I think 40. And those people uh, are as loyal. Uh, they also have nice mean streak in them, and with that being a 4.30 p.m. Eastern game, that place is going to be live. <laughs> and I, I just wonder about Washington being able to bring it because when you look at the matchup specifically, Oregon State's beaten Washington once in the last 11 years. In the last three years, it's been a six-point game or less. So I think it's on the table for Oregon State. The style of football they play, their defense is always better at home with that crowd. I think it's a lot to ask for for Washington to go in and win this. And you see that with the point spread where Oregon State 
being the favorite. So I like the big. I like the Beavers. Yeah, for those not paying attention, Michael Penix Jr. in Washington, undefeated on the road in Corvallis. <laughs> they are two and a half point underdogs against Oregon State. That pretty much tells you what people think will happen. The the people who know uh, will happen. But I, I'm pretty sure I will have Oregon State in my smell test uh, tomorrow. So um, to Florida State. I don't think it's clear sailing for them. I actually think the game against Florida in the Swamp won't be easy. And I think an ACC title game against Louisville, although I think Louisville's in a little bit of a dicey situation uh, Saturday as well. But if it is Louisville, they're, they're good defensively. I think Florida State could go down between now and selection uh, Sunday. What do you think? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Uh, Louisville and, and that trip to the Swamp, like that's, that's going to be a big spot for Billy Napier. That was a great game last year in Tallahassee. They played on the Friday night in between. I wish they kept that, but uh, yeah. we got the Civil War there instead. But, no, I think Florida State's up against it because when you break it down, uh, you know, the quarterback is great. I thought he was really, really too risky last week against Miami, though. And if they were to fall behind – I really wonder how how much pressure they're going to feel uh, against a team like um, Florida in the swamp and knowing how good that building could be. And then, you know, Louisville, uh, I, I worry about Louisville this week at Miami. Yeah. That's a weird spot. Yep. You know, they're barely favored against Miami. So, yes, I, I would be worried if I'm Florida State. Uh, but if you take care of business and you run the table, you got to feel really good about your your chances. All right, so let's jump to what I guess is sort of the not the nightmare scenario, but the one that would create the the, the most discussion, which is if uh-huh. if Florida State runs the table as an undefeated ACC champion, if Washington yep. runs the table as a Pac-12 champion, and we both said that we think there's a chance both of them could fall, and you know yep. Michigan and or Ohio State, um, and yep. then. Alabama runs a table and beats Georgia in an SEC title game, and Texas wins the Big 12 uh, as a one-loss team as well. Who would be the fourth team? <laughs> oh, I am still a guy that te- – it's not going to be Texas, but I would put Texas in. Why don't you uh, think it would be Texas? That's the most impressive win of the college football season. Do you agree with me on that or not? Not if Alabama beats Georgia. I mean, being on the field last week, Kevin in Athens, that Georgia team is insanely talented. And for the first time, their offense is better than their defense. And, yeah. that, and that's saying something because they got NFL guys all over the back end of that defense. Uh, but just watching that and just seeing, I mean, Mims, the right tackle comes back. I mean, that kid is a, as impressive a specimen as I've seen. And then Bowers coming back. And, and Carson Beck, I just feel like everybody, I, mean, I didn't assume he was going to be this good. And I go back to the game in Auburn. They're down on the road, middle, late third quarter, and he looks as comfortable as ever. Uh, that what that kid has done in the, in the situation where guys have just not played well or met the standard that was the, the position from the before guy played. Uh, I, I don't think enough has been made of him. He's been as steady as as there's been in the country. And uh, if, if Bama's defense could beat that team, that to me is the best win 
in, in my opinion. Yeah, but you would still have Texas being able to say, we went to Tuscaloosa and beat the team that beat yeah. Georgia. Um, yes, I, 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 with the win, I, I still favor Texas because of that head-to-head. Um, you know, I just the, – the, the momentum of Alabama is going to be out of control if they were to do that to Georgia. You, I mean, we've seen this in years past. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that's – and, and the momentum – that's the problem. The momentum is going to be so strong that people will have short memories and come up with every excuse in the book about how Texas beat Alabama, and they throttled them pretty well being there. So I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. When you said I would favor Texas, like you would pick Texas, but you believe that if Alabama were to run the table, beat Georgia in the SEC title game, that the committee would actually take Bama over Texas as a one-loss team? Yes. Okay. I I believe that. How about this one? How about Oregon beats Washington, an undefeated Washington, in the Pac-12 mm-hmm. championship game. Texas runs the table, and Bama runs the table as well. If it's Oregon, Texas, and Bama, who would the committee vote in? Uh, uh, the problem is, so what, Oregon would have... Assuming Florida State... Well, no. At that, yeah, so see, Oregon, at that, Oregon at that point, we'd have Florida spot. State and Michigan. So it would be two spots. It would be two of the three. Yeah, that's that's where that's where I I wonder about Florida State uh, because they're not going to have any like if if Louisville were to beat lose to Miami, you know, and and, and I don't even know what could happen in the ACC scenario. I know uh, Louisville has not clinched yet. They do with a win over Miami, but if they were to lose that. I just wonder what Florida State's resume would be undefeated. I'm still the believer an undefeated team should be in from the ACC, so I put I put Florida State in. I I would still go Texas because of that win, yeah. and that's stronger to me when you have that win and you avenge the loss. Whereas Oregon, that resume is not going to be great. You know they're going to have they're going to avenge a loss against Washington, assuming. You know, in this scenario, like you said, they went out. So I, I think I'm in the minority, but I, I would go Texas. Going to be really interesting down the stretch for sure. Um, I test, yes. uh, I test only, not resume. Who are the four best teams in the country right now? Oof. Uh, I test. I would say Georgia, Michigan, um, Oregon. And it's between Ohio State and Florida State. Uh, so you don't think Alabama's? You, you don't think Alabama right now would would be a top four team, eye test wise? Right now, no, no, I don't. I want to. I, I want to see them. I want to see them go to Auburn in that in that rivalry in that atmosphere uh, and see what they are. It's easy to get up for. That LSU game, you're at home, you're off a bye, you had everything planned and saved. Uh, I thought Tommy Reese did a great job in, in having some keys for Jalen Miller to, to actually run and pick the right spot to run the ball there. So, uh, no, how in there, that could change in, in, in two weeks, and, and obviously if they were to win the SEC. Give me just some sort of wild 
scenario that we haven't even thought about. Like I was thinking about if Louisville were to run the table and you get a couple of losses, would Louisville as a one-loss ACC champ have an opportunity? Um, You know, they did beat Notre Dame pretty handily at one point this year. That was, you know, for Ohio State a while, uh, for a while, a a reason that they were the number one team along with the Penn State win. Give me something kind of lurking that nobody's – thinking about right now over the final two weeks of the regular season and then championship weekend? It's too far, Kevin, but like I talked on it before, with what Oregon State is, look at these two games they have left. No one will have two better wins. Now they have the two losses, obviously, but if they ended the season, you know, beating or beating Washington, beating Oregon and winning a Pac-12 title, that, I get it. That's two losses, and you know they're both on the road. But that's a pretty darn good resume. <laughs> if you want to start talking about momentum, man, like that, that that's that's going to be super impressive. And I'm I, I really think they're capable. Uh, but I, I what I really am taking out of this and watching it now and seeing that they moved Georgia to one, they they are they are begging for Georgia to win the SEC title. You know, like that makes that takes a huge headache out of there because that eliminates one of the one-loss teams and makes Bama a two-loss team, and that's the one everybody wants to compare to, right? I mean, yeah. when you look at that scenario in this last year, uh, it's just it's also amazing, too, that we just haven't had this, this type of possibility, you know, with, with multiple teams from multiple conferences. That, right. That's what's so fun, and I think that's what everybody had envisioned at the beginning. So, um, it's... Uh, it's it's there, you know the the, the Ohio State Michigan deal like that. That's I, I I think it's an elimination game. And the other the other idea is people the way they look at Georgia. Everybody brings up the win streak from the previous two years, and you can't do that. No. They, I I I get it. They're the face of the sport, but if they were to lose the SEC championship, they're out. They 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 are out. When you're going to look at that resume and actually see what it really is, uh, I, I don't see them in the playoffs. Although the schedule turned out to be more difficult than better we thought than it Michigan's. would be. Yeah, better than Michigan's. Before the year, everybody picked apart Georgia's schedule, how easy it was going to be, and nobody's ever brought up Michigan. Michigan hasn't played it. I mean, a soul. Right. Uh, when you look at the the ineptness of, of Penn State and. You know, it was a team that I was high on and picked to go to the playoff, but uh, should have learned my lesson on that one. But, um, no, when you when you look at that strength, I mean, going into last week, Michigan was 111th in strength of schedule, and now that being a two-loss win, I, I don't see that helping out. So, no, what, what Georgia has – happened in their schedule was was a major surprise to me. Yeah, Missouri being the biggest of the two surprises, Missouri and yeah. Ole Miss. Um, awesome story. Awesome y- team. Yeah, great story. Good team. Really good team. I mean, they actually probably – well, they did. I mean, I know the Auburn game at Jordan-Hare was super competitive, but Missouri was legitimately in that game against Georgia uh, in Athens. No, um, no. Down yeah. six with the ball, and they threw a pick. I know. I, the one thing about the rankings, and it all will solve itself here for the most part, unless we get down to this one-loss debate between Bama and Texas and maybe even Oregon, I just don't know how Oregon is ahead of Texas 
right now it's at six. I, I know we all feel, I say we all, I think a lot of us who watch that Oregon-Washington game still wonder how the hell Oregon lost that game. They looked like the better team on the field. I get that. But, you know, other than the Utah game, they just don't have anything resembling Texas's wins, which I would also include a win over K-State as being impressive. I actually think a rematch with K-State could be problematic for Texas um, if they play them again. But uh, other, but whatever, you know, it's like, you know, the, the, the resume thing over the eye test. I mean, Texas's resume is better than Oregon's. They should be number six. I, I totally agree. Texas resume, their strength of schedule, everything. Uh, Oregon has gotten a, a, an unbelievable benefit in the eye in the eyes of people that look to be making the decisions after going to Utah and beating a Utah team that's not that good. Right. Uh, you know, had a had a great win against USC, but look at what USC has become. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm totally totally in agreement. Texas with what they have done, it's just. It kind of seems forgotten, and everybody just brings up on how they haven't looked impressive. Uh, there's a reason they've won those games, though. It's because Sarkeesian's that good on offense, and he's built these leads, uh, only to see them you know, diminish in the second half of games. So I totally am in agreement that Texas should be the top one loss game. By the way, would you give Iowa any chance in a Big Ten title game against Ohio State? Not Michigan. And I say Ohio State because I'm just not impressed with Ohio State offensively at any point this year. You know, you talked about how Georgia's strength is their offense, not their defense. Ohio State also has kind of flipped their strength is their defense, not necessarily their offense. Would you give Iowa any prayer with that defense of competing? Not with the, the, the corner getting out and losing and tearing his ACL. That kid, okay. that kid is a, an NFL DB. Uh, and not a safety. He's a corner. Did Gene? Uh, did Gene? Not, not yeah. without it. Yeah, yeah he's phenomenal. I mean, he's going to be a first round pick. Yeah, uh, he's that. He's that good. So without him, I just don't see them. And and just the total lack of offense against that Ohio State defense could cause major problems, turnovers, <laughs> yeah. uh, defensive touchdowns, that thing. So, they could also nah, pick off I, McCord I, I three times and score on two of them. They could. Yeah. Um, all right, real quickly, because I, I, I don't want to take up so much of your time, even though you're always very generous with it. All right, um, number one, what happens to Harbaugh tomorrow? Does he coach at Maryland or not? I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I don't believe so. Um, I just feel like they're going to take this and and take the blame, um, finally. Uh, but uh, I, I would not expect to see Jim Harbaugh in College Park. Do you, do you think you'll see Jim Harbaugh in Ann Arbor next year? No. Okay. Will he be in the NFL? No, I, I just – I believe so. If he wants to, he will be, right? Yeah. Oh, there are plenty of people I, that would hire I, him. Who replaces Jimbo yeah, at, at Texas A&M? Oh, great call. I was having this conversation with Scott, actually. I actually like the pool of candidates. For a Mississippi stop, Mississippi State job, Kevin, better than I like to pull for A and M. If I'm A and M, I they're in a huge predicament. Uh, it's not even it, it's 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 the third best job in that division, and these people just have they can't face the reality of that and think they are in the upper echelon of jobs. It's it's not a top five job in the sport. I don't know if it's top ten. Uh, so I if I'm an A and M fan, I am. 
super happy, super happy with Mike Elko or Jeff Trailer. But the majority of that fan base is going to want to win the press conference, and those guys are not going to. But they are damn good football coaches, and you should be happy with those hires if you get one of those two guys. Trailer from UTSA, for those of you who don't know, that's mm-hmm. University of Texas San Antonio and Elko uh, from Duke. Um does Franklin survive even – I mean, he's got – they don't have Texas A&M money, um, and they've got a lot no. of years left on his deal, but does he survive? I think this this offensive coordinator is a, is a monster hire because you have all the goods. And when you look at uh, their roster and their staff, I, I look at – now you don't have an offensive coordinator. you got to hire a new one. Your wide receivers coach, Marcus Hagens, who's thought the world thought of him coming from Virginia as a recruiter, he didn't recruit any of these receivers. You know, so the dynamic of that, like a new offense coordinator, and if they could go portaling and get wide receivers that are difference makers and Aller has, has grown up, uh, I just, I, I do, I, I, I asked too much of Drew Aller, you know, before the season. I thought he'd be able to step in there. And they would rely on that defense and he would make the plays he needed. He has to grow up under the fire. And we see that a lot of places this year, which is what I think fans are having such a tough time with. You know, you look at Carson Beck at Georgia. Uh, you look at Kyle McCord at Ohio State. It's not pretty, but that's the only way to do it. I mean, hell, look at Jalen Milrow at Alabama. He got benched. Yeah. And, and he had to go through a humbling experience. But these guys have to get experience. If you're going to play the young guys, they ha- in the day of, of bringing in a transfer quarterback, I mean, that hasn't worked out well this year for the majority of spots, except maybe Bo Nix uh, and, and Penix. Uh, I mean, Kentucky's failed by it. Uh, NC State's failed by it. Uh, plenty of teams have failed using that. So I, I think these fan bases are getting a little crazy with their expectations. But I think Franklin does. I, I could see a fix there with a new OC, getting some difference makers at wide receiver, and that offense matching how good that defense because I think that defense is absolutely tremendous. Awesome. When you go down that that depth chart, they're there. I mean, they, that's going to be the most forgotten group uh, of this year, and how good they were. I mean, they battled and battled being on the field in Columbus uh, with the offense turning it over and bad punts and field position. That team battled for sixty against Ohio State, and they battled last week. I mean, they're on the field the whole damn game. <laughs> So uh, I, I was super impressed with that unit. But I, I do think uh, Franklin's okay. Who wins the Heisman Trophy? Uh, I don't – you know, we talk about this recency bias, Kevin, and can Daniels win it playing Georgia State and A&M and then being nowhere to be found on Championship Saturday? I find that hard to believe. Uh I tell you, the guy that's still sitting there, he's got uh, games in monster stages, is Carson Beck. Uh, he, I mean, he really could do it if he if he, they go nuts at Tennessee, with brutal place to play. And if he's the difference, they beat Alabama to maintain uh, this undefeated season. He's laying in the weeds. The winner of the Pac-12 title game, depending if Penix is undefeated in that spot. Um, if Penix runs the table, he should get it, in my opinion. Uh, so I, I look at that. I think the best player, I mean, everybody's talking about Jaden Daniels is the best player. The best player is Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, I just, if he were to do what he did against Penn State, against Michigan, and they win, I could see Mark, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, winning that award because if people are going to throw the best player argument, 
that's that's my counter is, is Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player in the country. All right, great job as always. Uh, appreciate it. You'll be at Madison tomorrow on college or on Saturday, excuse me, on College Game Day, uh, which starts at nine a.m. with Reese and all the guys. Uh, you're doing a great job on that show. Uh, we both need our picks to do better, um, but yeah. but we still have some season left. We still have some season left. All right, I'll talk to you soon. We're not gonna we're not gonna talk Sam Howell. Come on. Go ahead. Give me your thoughts on Sam Howell. Am I am I the closest to who was right and who you've had on since they drafted him? You, I, I was the highest. You on. and Sean King, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer okay. quarterback, Sean, who okay. works with my gu- my guy Tim Murray out in Vegas. They yep. do a show together. Sean, from the day they drafted him, I've had him on. I don't know three times probably. And he's he was Hal's biggest fan, and you were a big fan as well. So here's my question right. for you, because I did this on radio earlier today. <laughs> Who he's played ten games this year as a starter. Who do you see yep. him becoming, comp wise? I'm, I'm taking. I'm not. I'm not going Hall of Fame level. All right. So I'll take all the Hall of Famers. Okay, well, off the board. Yeah. Uh. I mean, I had a caller. I had callers calling in saying Drew Brees and Russell Wilson. Brees, obviously, a Hall of Famer. I actually believe Russell Wilson's career is a Hall of Fame career. Um, not everybody agrees with me on that, but if we're taking uh, Hall of Famers, which I think is wise at this point after ten starts yeah. this year, um, but who do you have in mind? You want me to give you mine? Yeah. So before the season started, I said high-end Andy Dalton, low-end, I gave out low-end Charlie Batch and Colt McCoy. I don't know where I came up with Charlie wow. Batch. But I, th- but I s- still, now, I think his trajectory, and I don't think this is a knock at all, is Andy Dalton, who for several years in Cincinnati was a top half of the league starting quarterback. And I think they play mm-hmm. very similarly. Do you have Andy Dalton in the same class as Derek Carr? I actually have always liked Andy Dalton more than Derek Carr, but my producer okay. this morning said Derek Carr, if that's what you were going to say. Uh, no, I would say better, high, higher. That's the problem. Is we get in these tiers, and um, it's, a, it's a tough deal to tier everybody. Uh, I'll say better than Tony Romo. Wow. Well, that's... That's a much better – that's a hell of a lot better than Derek Carr or Andy Dalton. I mean, Tony Romo I don't yeah. think will end up in the Hall of Fame. Cowboy fans think he deserves oh, it. Oh, no, no, um, no. But at least, you know, at least the size on Romo and the build and the whole thing is more similar because Carr is a bigger guy, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Romo yeah. would be incredible. Uh, if, if you end up with yeah, Tony Romo – if you end up with Tony Romo, you've got a top ten quarterback at some point for multiple years mm-hmm. in his career. That's high. Yep. All right. Um, All right. Good job. I saw I saw Legler last night. He said he owes you a text. I forgot. That's all right. all right. We 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 chase each he, other uh, around. His daughter got his daughter got married, so he's, he's been busy. So good. I'll, I'll give him a. Pass. Yeah. No, I remember him telling me that. I saw him earlier this year. All right. Good job. Uh, have yeah. fun this weekend. Enjoy Harrisonburg. I'll talk to you soon. We'll do, my man. I appreciate you having me on.
Steve's the best. Uh, Smoot was great. Uh, I enjoyed the show today with both of them. I hope you did as well. Oh, I did want to mention, I talked to Cooley today. He's not watching any football. He said that he will watch the game on Sunday uh, and maybe come on next week. We shall see. But he was literally in the midst of a 26-hour, three-day bus trip to some place in Colorado for a wrestling tournament. You know, he's coaching that powerhouse JUCO program out in Powell, Wyoming. Uh, 26 hours, three days, he sounded thrilled. All right, that's it for today. Back tomorrow. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.